This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. This episode features author Joe Calderoni discussing his new novel, Don't Look Back, the 343 FDNY firefighters killed on 9-11 and the fight for the truth. FMC Fast Chat takes you inside the news so you can be in the know in 30 minutes. Hosted by Fair Media Council CEO and Executive Director Jackie Clement, Fast Chat features notables in news, media, and business. Thank you for joining us. Our guest this time around is journalist turned author Joe Calderoni. So Joe, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I actually have your book right here in front of me. Oh, um, good one, visual. <laughs> I'm one of the lucky people who got an early copy of it. So I thank you for that. Um, but we want to talk about your book today, not only what it's about, but also dive into kind of behind behind the scenes of how it was put together and capitalizing a bit on your uh, former career as a journalist, because our listeners in particular are always interested in going behind the scenes of news topics. So first up, we really owe it to the audience. Can you give a synopsis of what the book is actually about and maybe why I would buy it as a gift for the upcoming holiday season? <laughs> it's a great holiday gift. Absolutely. Thank you, Jackie, for that setup. So uh, the book is uh, is fiction, first of all. It's historical fiction, uh, but it is fact-based. It's actually kind of a category called uh, faction, where you don't really know where the fiction ends and the facts begin. But it is very much based on uh, what happened uh, at the World Trade Center uh, 21 years ago. And it it follows the mother of a probie uh, who was killed on 9-11 uh, as she uh, teams up with a, a local reporter, surprise, mm -hmm. uh, from a tab fictional tabloid New York City newspaper as she tries to get answers about uh, what happened to her son and the other 342 firefighters uh, who perished uh, that day at the World Trade Center. And she goes up against City Hall. Uh, she uh, uh, is involved, obviously, with the news media. Uh, and then another uh, strong character. There's two strong female characters in the book. Uh, one is a whistleblower and one is the mother of the probie. Uh, and the reporter involved, uh, Juan Gomez, the fictitious reporter, he teams up uh, with a, a city hall aide uh, who helps unravel uh, this, this mystery of, of how it could possibly be. And of course, this is the fact part that 343 firefighters from the FDNY perished uh, on the morning of 9-11. And it goes into some of the uh, serious problems that the firefighters had that day communicating specifically uh, by their handy talky radios we all see them, uh, you know, they, they carry them uh, clipped to their chest so that they can quickly communicate with each other. And uh, the book is based in part on uh, the 9-11 Commission report. Uh, the 9-11 Commission was actually, unlike what we see today, it was a bipartisan effort, and it was a very well done, in my opinion, very well done uh, effort 
and they documented the international and the national uh, implications and root causes of uh, 9-11, but they also spent uh, time looking at the city's response. In Chapter 9 of the 9-11 Commission Report, they detail uh, some of the uh, many challenges that the firefighters had that day, among them the communication uh, issues. The, the radios, in short, uh, didn't work uh, the way they were intended. And it, it seems pretty clear, again, according to the 9-11 Commission report, that the Mayday call to evacuate, uh, for instance, there were there were guys in the North Tower who were even unaware that the South Tower had come down. Uh, so, you know, some, some people may have heard the Mayday call, some people may have not, but it, it certainly was a contributing factor into the deaths of the 343 firefighters. Okay. So you said it is historical fiction, but now what category? It sounds like it falls into the category of a thriller. Or a it is a thriller. It is a thriller. I, I, and I'm, I'm uh, repeating what readers have now said online on Amazon. It's available on, on Amazon so you can read their reviews, but it's very fast paced. Uh, and, and that was how it was intended to be. And it does take you into the world of, uh, most of it is post 9-11, by the way, the opening chapters are uh, uh, the morning of the attack, but very quickly it pivots to uh, the struggle that the families had, because I wanted to tell that story. I wanted to tell the story of uh, not only the firefighters uh, who perished, but the struggle that their families had after the fact, as they tried to get information uh, out of City Hall uh, and other sources about what really happened to their uh, loved ones. And, and it is that story. And also behind the scenes, media-wise, uh, there is a fictitious tabloid newspaper, uh, and there are editors involved and reporters involved and sources. So the relationship between sources and uh, reporters and how that all plays out and the political side of what's happening inside City Hall uh, in the months uh, after 9-11. All of that is is very much part of the book. Okay, so take us back to 21 or 22 years ago. What were you doing at that time? So I was the, I spent 25 years as a reporter and editor for uh, Newsday and New York Newsday. Uh, at the time, 9-11, I was the investigations editor for the New York Daily News. We had a small team of investigative reporters, really a good team, I might add. Uh, and, and so I uh, had done some stories about the fire department prior to 9-11. So it was just kind of natural for me to uh, dig in on that uh, end of it. And uh, so I, I actually covered uh, the fire department in the months uh, after and the weeks after 9-11. Uh, you know, I still remember when I first heard from one of my sources, uh, I think it was the, the night of 9-11, that they had lost upwards of 300 firefighters. It was just an unbelievable number to me. It was, you know, there's, there's no other fire in New York City history that even comes close to that uh, tragic number. So uh, that's where I dug in and I did some stories in the, in the weeks uh, uh, after 9-11 uh, about the radio uh, malfunctions. And, and the book grew out of that. And I also got to know some of the families uh, uh, some of the, uh, the mothers and the widows uh, who became very active. They became a very potent, as you know, a very potent political uh, force. Uh, and they showed up at the 9-11 commission hearings that were held around the city. 
uh, and they became and still today are a potent force. You know, now, unfortunately, we're getting to the point where we're, we're almost about to lose as many firefighters uh, from diseases that they got from working on the pile uh, as we lost on the day of the attack. And they've been very instrumental of families in making sure that those uh, uh, firefighters uh, retired and otherwise have the health benefits they need uh, to get the care that they deserve. Fair enough. Yeah. Now, though, at what point, though, when you were covering 9-11 as a live story, did you say, wait a minute, I think there's a book in here somewhere? Yeah, so it really took years uh, later. Uh, it, the book took me 10 years to write uh, and get published. It was a long uh, slog, I have to say. I had never written a novel before. All of my uh, background is as a, a journalist doing nonfiction. But I felt 21 years later, uh, in terms of why I, I went the fiction route, I, I felt that in order, I wanted to get into the heads of the firefighters and some of the families. And in order to do that, that's almost impossible to do in a nonfiction setting. So I, I, I thought I could tell the story better uh, as, a, as a fictional, in a fictional setting. And also, as I said, it, it, the facts uh, of the uh, communication failures are in uh, chapter nine of the 9-11 commission report, but unfortunately very few people have read chapter nine <laughs> of the 9-11 commission report. It's a pretty <laughs> thick document. So my hope was that by putting the elements of that into a fictional thriller, uh, that it would bring to the fore and bring more readers uh, to the topic uh, and, and be able to appeal to a wider audience. Okay, but that wasn't part of you kind of, I'm wondering if you were torn because of your background with fact checking and it needs to be accurate versus now you can go off and you could just let your imagination run wild. Well, it was quite freeing, I have to say, <laughs> you know, as a novelist, you do get to make up dialogue and you get to make up characters. And uh, so that actually the dialogue kind of came uh, somewhat easy to me because of all my years as a reporter. You, you know, you, you, you develop an ear for the soundbite. Uh, you kind of during an interview, you almost know, oh, that's going to be, you know, that's going to be it. That's going to be the soundbite. But what was difficult for me was the plot structure and the character development uh, and all of that uh, uh, came uh, much more difficult uh, uh, for me to do. But uh, I had the benefit of a good editor uh, about halfway through the process. I, I did hire a good editor and uh, I think he helped drag it out of me. So uh, uh, it was it was uh, a challenge. And uh, but I think it worked out. It's, it's you know, critically, it's gotten gotten some very good reviews people magazine uh, a lot of local uh, press dance papers uh, the herald southampton press others uh, the chief the civil service chief uh, they've all uh, written uh, good reviews about it and online uh, you know the reader reaction has been positive so because again as a first time novelist you never really know right. how it's going to play and you're kind of you know sitting on the edge of your seat like is this going to bomb or what <laughs> So luckily, it hasn't bombed. It's been pretty much a critical success. Uh, I'm not sure it's been a commercial success uh, just yet, but it was only published uh, three three or so months ago, four yeah. months ago. Okay. So tell me a little bit about that from your perspective. Who's your favorite character? Favorite character in the book? 
So I guess I have three uh, favorite uh, characters, and that's uh, uh, Juan Gomez is the reporter, uh, and he's a you know he works for a New York City tabloid, so I certainly identify with him. Uh, and then there's uh, Mary Sullivan, uh, who's the whistleblower, uh, who's a city hall aide, and she's instrumental uh, in helping to uh, ferret out some of the information that uh, helps Juan uh, publish. Uh, some stories about what happened. And then Sarah Murphy, who is the mother uh, of the Proby uh, who died. And and all of the characters are a compilation of people I met or reported on over the years, not just during 9-11. Uh, and that was another reason I wanted to do the book and, and do it in a fictional way, because as a reporter, and I covered City Hall for many years for New York Newsday and also for the Daily News, you meet so many interesting characters along the way. It's one of the great uh, benefits and joys of being a reporter from all walks of life. So I wanted to be able to draw on all of that. And, and I, I think I put together composite characters uh, that take you through City Hall, that take you through the New York City media uh, market and some of the tensions that arise uh, between uh, government officials, elected officials, reporters, sources, whistleblowers. Uh, so my favorite uh, characters are those those three. Two very strong female uh, characters who are instrumental in unearthing what happened, and, and Juan Gomez, who's the erstwhile reporter, who I hope to keep alive uh, if I get to write a, a second novel, because I think I can move him around uh, the city. You know, one of my favorite authors is Michael Connolly, Mm -hmm. wrote the Lincoln Lawyer and the Botch series. Yeah. Uh, and he's an, a former LA Times uh, uh, crime reporter who's now very, very successful uh, novelist. And, uh, you know, he has these recurring characters. So uh, he's one of my heroes as an author. And I, I think I can do the same. He writes what's called the uh, criminal procedural, police procedural books, right? And I, this is really a reporter procedural book. That's what Don't Look Back really is, because it, it, as I said, it opens up with the attack, but it very quickly gets into Juan Gomez and how he goes about unearthing this story and all of the efforts that he goes through. So it really is, for those who are media savvy, uh, I mm -hmm. think it's a good read uh, because it, it, it is a reporter procedural as they interact. There you go. Thanks again. Well, I'm curious, though, the name of the book, Don't Look Back. Why is it named that? Yeah. So uh, thank you for that good question. Uh, so when I was a reporter at, at the Daily News covering this in the in the weeks after, you know, you're you're checking with all your sources, every person you ever uh, met uh, who might have anything to do with it. And you're also checking with the official uh uh, spokespersons, the PR people for all the agencies, the FDNY, the Port Authority, the NYPD, City Hall, you know, uh, OEM, all of the agencies that that played a role down there. And they actually uh, all kind of uh, were singing the same song officially anyway. And that was, don't blame us. Uh, this wasn't our fault. It was the terrorists. They drove the planes into the building. Uh, don't look back. That, and and all that is true, right? I mean, of course, the terrorists were the, uh, the the folks who caused the disaster. But uh, you know, reporters are part of their job is to look at well, how, what was the response? How was the response? Was it up to snuff? 
Uh, and that that was the recurring. It was pretty clear that they had gotten together and scripted uh, what they thought the response uh, should be. Uh, and that's how the, the title of the book came. Okay. All right. So how long did it take you to actually complete? So it was really a 10-year project off and on. I mean, I didn't quit my day job, thankfully, uh, or else I, I would have been unemployed and, and had <laughs> right. an income. So, uh, and I count in the 10 years also, it took me, you know, I got more than 20 uh, rejections. I had to buy a whole new file cabinet just mm-hmm. to hold the rejections. Uh, and anyone uh, who's out there in the media who's thinking, I got a, I got a novel in me, I got a book. Uh, you know, go for it. Don't be deterred uh, because all you need is one agent and one publisher to say yes. And you just, you know, being persistent is a quality, uh, good or bad of of most good reporters I know. And you just need to apply that uh, if you're trying to get a book published. Because I finally did get one agent who actually half half of the agents didn't even respond. Uh, But I got one agent who, who responded, who read it, who understood it. Uh, his name is Ed Breslin, and he took another few months, but he found a publisher, Post Hill Press, uh, who took a chance on a uh, first-time uh, novelist, uh, and we were able to uh, get it into print. So it was a long uh, process, uh, and uh, but you know, actually seeing it in print and seeing people react to it is is worth the effort, and 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 bringing more importantly, bringing I hope some light to this issue of what happened to the firefighters that day. This is obviously one of the most covered events in the history of New York City and in the history of the world. But I I always felt that what happened to the firefighters, that story had not truly been told. Uh, And what happened to the families and the families' efforts to unearth what happened to their loved ones, I thought that story had not been fully told. And so I hope my my goal was to shed some light uh, on those topics. Yeah. And well, you mentioned it's gotten some great reviews online and from media who have reviewed it. But have you heard from any of those family members? Have they read the book? So some of them have. Yes. Uh, I I haven't heard uh, from all of them. Uh, You know, there's a whole 9-11 community uh, out there. Certainly would like to hear from more of them. I'm not sure that it's fully saturated that community yet. Uh, I, I hope it will. Uh, I, I know some of the first responders who have read it, uh, you know, have reacted well to it. So I'm very pleased uh, about that. We had an event at NYU and I, I had a firefighter uh, who was involved in the FDNY uh, administration, actually, who came and and was very uh uh, grateful that uh, we had written the book because I, I actually I do teach at NYU. I teach investigative reporting there, and my students now, you know, uh, it's 21 years later. They have no personal memory of the attack, or if they do, it's a very faint one. So, uh, as this firefighter who showed up at the NYU event said, he said, "It's, you know, it's very important that we keep alive what happened and that people don't uh, forget about it." So. Uh, there are many, many nonfiction books that have been written, obviously, about 9-11, but uh, I'm hoping that this uh, historical fiction book will will maybe uh, add to that uh, record of, of what happened in a different way, taking a, a different, a longer lens, a historical uh, fiction lens uh, on it. Yeah. And now do you, do you feel like you were able to completely tell this story or is that what you're leaning toward with, with another book coming out? So, you know, there's so many facets to 9-11. Uh, 
you know, it's it's like the the Pearl Harbor attack. You know, how many books, movies uh, have been written about the Pearl Harbor attack or the Titanic, for that matter? I think it's it's a historical event along those lines. So there are so many different angles you could take, uh, and and this was just one of them. But uh, you know, at the end of the book, uh, there there is uh, some people have said, "Oh, I'm foreshadowing," and maybe I am. Uh, there's a, a discussion at the very end about uh, about what happened to the people who worked on the pile uh, and mm-hmm. and the sicknesses uh, that they've come down with uh, since. And then their effort, uh, their fight to get uh, justice for them uh, and the help that they needed. So maybe that's an, uh, a way to go. I haven't committed yet. OK, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. I'm wondering, though, from your perspective, when you talk to students who didn't live through this event, what is their impression? Do they have any idea the the size and the magnitude of what this meant for America? Yeah, I'm not sure they they do uh, fully. You know, I'm, I'm not sure that it, and this is another debate that's going on uh, separately from my book per se. But there are some folks who say, oh, you know, 9/11 should be in the school curriculums now. It should be mm-hmm. mandated. You know, I think you have a similar debate about the Holocaust and other. Uh, major historical events that some people would rather we forget about, right? Uh, if you're mm-hmm. a Holocaust denier, uh, maybe you, you don't want it uh, taught in the schools. But obviously, I think most people recognize that uh, these are important events that our students should know about. So um, I, I personally think it's obviously a, a, a very important uh, event in New York uh, history and the history of the nation and the world. It changed the uh, our outlook, our foreign policy, uh, we entered a war, a 10-year war over it. Day to day, it completely changed how we go about our day-to-day business just in terms of security. You know, you didn't used to have to take over your belt, your shoes, yeah. go to an airport. Uh, so uh, it, it, even though they may not realize it, 9-11 had a lasting impact on, on how we live and how the United States deals with other countries. Now, how did you ever become a journalist to begin with? So uh, I went to the University of Maryland College Park. I started, like um, many of my colleagues, I started working on the student newspaper, and uh, I just got bit by the bug. Uh, you know, once you get ink in your system, uh, it, it just, to me, it it's, was an opportunity every day to learn something new. Uh, and that was just irresistible. Uh, the, the people you meet along the way and the, and the topics that you're able to dive bomb into and learn about. And then eventually, you know, also, you know, I was part of the Watergate uh, era. Uh, Woodward and Bernstein were superstars. And uh, uh, I was very much in that in the wake of that. Uh, and um, so that's that's certainly what inspired me. And eventually, after a lot of beat reporting and, uh, you know, nights and other kind of reporting, I did get to join the investigations team at Newsday, which was a pretty vaunted uh, group uh, led by Bob Green at the time, the legendary Newsday editor. And, you know, I always joke that I went to the Green uh, uh, Graduate School of uh, Investigative Reporters because there's a whole flock of us out there who were trained by Bob Green uh, and he had very specific and rigid uh, training requirements. So uh, benefited from that uh, tremendously and did and did get to spend a fair amount of time as an investigative reporter, which means really that you get more time 
the, the difference between a regular reporter and an investigative reporter, other than instincts and, and some skill, is you, you have the luxury of, of delving into a topic for weeks, even months uh, at a time. And that is a great privilege. And you're teaching investigative reporting to students now. I am at the graduate level at NYU, and I'm, I'm always uh, uh, heartened by the quality of students that we get and by their dedication and that there's the, just the mere fact that there's people who still want to do this kind of work. Because it's, as you know, it's a difficult media uh, landscape, right? So many uh, newsrooms have cut back on staff and budgets. Um, but, you know, they find a way, they, they find a way, those who really want to do this kind of work. So I try to just give them the tools that will help make them a, a better reporters, whether they become investigative reporters or any other kind of reporters. Yeah. Well, now the tools, though, must have changed dramatically between the time you were the student reporter, right? Well, yeah, I actually, you know, I do make them read All the President's Men uh, uh, and The Secret Man, which was... Uh, uh, Woodward's uh, relationship with Deep Throat, uh, and I, you know, back in the Watergate days, they were they were on typewriters. They did not have cell phones. Uh, they didn't have the internet. <laughs> but uh, the the many of the tools have changed, you know, for sure. And many of the tools are great uh, assist to reporters. But also one of the one of the uh, points I try to pound into them is that a lot of the skills and a lot of the craft has not changed. Uh, and that is, you know, find, going to a scene and using all five senses, not just sometimes when I have a dialogue with students, like, did you talk to that person? Oh, yeah, I talked to them. Well, did you actually talk to them? Well, I texted with them or I emailed. I, like, so you didn't actually interview them. You know, there's a, there's a disconnect, a, gener a generational disconnect sometimes. And I, I try to emphasize that there is no substitute for uh, shoe leather and going to a scene and, and going to actually see somebody in person and having that dialogue uh, with them, because you're going to learn so much more than if you're just emailing or, or texting. Yeah. Now, the persistence you show as a reporter, though, must be helping with the marketing of the book now, which I, I'm guessing how much of that falls on the author? Yeah, uh, almost everything. You know, <laughs> unless you are Michael Connolly or some okay. other very well-known author, you know, the publishers. Uh, I mean, I'm grateful to Post Hill Press for for publishing the book, but and they were very straightforward with me from the beginning. They just don't have the resources. They they pour. Most publishers will pour their resources into their big name authors. So if you're a first time author. You're pretty much on your own uh, in terms of uh, trying to generate uh, publicity, and it's very important to do so. So I, I kind of knew that from the get-go. Uh, my publisher was very straight with me about that, which I appreciated. Uh, mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm I am uh, have spent considerable amount of time just trying to get the book out there and 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 doing uh, you know podcasts like this, and uh, uh, luckily. It has gotten some some good uh, notices, and, and the press uh, was interested in the topic. Yeah. Now, what out of all of this, though, has been the biggest surprise for you? Hmm. How hard it is to get the word out that the book exists. Really? <laughs> it okay. is very difficult. Uh, there's just, just so many. When you go on Amazon, you know, they have the Amazon rank. There's like 500,000 books, <laughs> more, more than that, literally more than that. So. 
you know, I'm in a category, I'm in historical fiction, I'm a thriller. So uh, the categories get, get smaller, but they're, you're just competing against so many other authors. And again, as, a, as a, essentially a no-name author, which is what I am, a first-time author, it's just very, very difficult to, uh, to uh, get attention uh, for the book. Now, that must be a little humbling, though, given, you know, you had quite the journalism career. You couldn't just walk around with your Pulitzer Prize saying, look at me, I am accomplished. None of, none of that was working in the yeah. book world. Well, it, it did help me, I think, help me get an agent and help me get a publisher. I think certainly those credentials and certainly all the skills that I took out of that uh, helped me get the book done. But, uh, you know, my buddy Ellis Hennigan, uh, you, yes. you know, was an old Newsday pal. And is a very accomplished author. I, I, I lost track of how many books he's uh, authored or co-authored. But he said, you know, we used to write for newspapers and you'd publish a story and, you know, 200,000 people would see it in a couple of days or more. And then it would be passed around. He said with a book, it's not that way. You know, if you, yeah. you, get, you, you sell 3,000 books, you're considered a success. So uh, I, I've taken his uh, his words to heart, and it's only it's it, the book came out the end of July. So I hope I'm still in the honeymoon uh, period, and I still have time to uh, to get some attention. I I've been told again. I think this. I wrote it this way, but I think it would make an excellent Netflix uh, or big <laughs> screen movie, uh, given the topic and the characters involved and the fast pace. So I, you know, my goal is to is to try to uh, get it to the big screen. Okay. And what about in real life, though? I mean, are you, are you hoping this book somehow resonates with not not just the families, but what would be the next step after that? Yeah, very much so. I mean, the, the, the book is dedicated to the 343 firefighters who perished. And my hope is, is to get it to a wider audience so that people don't forget what happened and that we don't repeat the mistakes of what happened that day. And there were many mistakes uh, that were made that day that I think contributed to the death of the 343 firefighters. You know, most most uh, people uh, in the towers self-evacuated. If they were below the fire floors, most of them self-evacuated. So what happened to the firefighters and the fact that they uh, some of them didn't hear the mayday call and they didn't have the right equipment, uh, the radio mal radios did malfunction, there's something called a repeater system, that was installed, but it's unclear whether it was turned on or not. Uh, it didn't work properly all the time. So the signal inside a 110-story building made of glass and steel, you know, this, the radio signal doesn't on its own uh, transmit. Yeah. Uh, did they have the right uh, equipment? You know, this was the second time the Trade Center was attacked. There was a 93 bombing, as you know. Uh, did they learn from that? Did they implement changes that would have uh, made the communications better? Part of the book is to make sure that, that that doesn't happen again. The Fair Media Council is a 501c3 nonprofit organization advocating for quality news and working to create a media-savvy society. For more information about the Fair Media Council and upcoming Fast Chat shows, check out fairmediacouncil.org. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.